of Dear Adam Silver. This is a show about sports, art, and the creative space they share. My name is Abigail Smithson and I am an artist and longtime fan of the game of basketball. For today's episode, I spoke with Bronx-based visual artist Ronnie Quevado about his work rethinking the meaning of sports in combination with personal narratives. I first learned about his work when I saw a couple of his pieces at the Whitney this past summer. I'm so happy that we were able to make time to discuss his ideas and practice. In an essay about Quevado's work from Hyperallergic, culture critic Seth Rodney writes in reference to one of his pieces that it is really a diagram of what this nation can look like if we let go of the rope just a little. If we let go of the idea that winning means dominance and the imposition of one group's means stability. This is a post-colonial vision. There is no halftime because people are always coming and we are always resetting the space to accommodate the newcomers and determining the rules under which we are able to play. This writing by Rodney is a beautiful way of entering into Quevado's way of thinking and his overall practice. His work, both poignant and relevant to the time we are living through, also includes rich autobiographical details. I hope you enjoyed the interview and please subscribe to Dear Adam Silver on Apple Podcasts. Hi, Rodney. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Abigail. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I was so excited to, I am so excited to get to interview you. The fact that I saw your work on the walls of the Whitney just a few months ago, and now we're getting to have this conversation is really exciting to me. So thanks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. It should be fun. Yeah. So I guess this is the place that I start have started with some of my other guests, but and I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's always important, but just to discuss your relationship to to sports maybe in general and then to get more specific with how you mm-hmm. view them as an artist and how you view them based on where you're from and how you grew up and and all of those questions how they kind of inform your your lens yeah um there's many avenues in which sports has kind of been a part of my life well, growing up as a kid and in your city and particularly the bronx um where being outside was a big part of kind of growing up and also the the role of basketball, the role of indoor soccer. Um, my dad was also um, a soccer player in Ecuador mm-hmm. um, in the professional league. So he was a first division player for a variety of teams. And this was before um, players were paid what they're paid now. So it was very much a kind of an impassioned approach to becoming a soccer player in Ecuador with um, um, with not much of a commercial outlet, at yeah. least back then. So I kind of grew up um, really understanding soccer through him. And for me personally, as a child, understanding various games that were played in New York City, um, at playgrounds, at gyms um and you know every now and then entertaining myself with like little league games or um soccer academies and also just kind of shadowing my my dad in a lot of ways we used to go to um Flushing Meadows Park in Queens where he was a referee um once um we got to New York he was a referee for a lot of amateur leagues um that would have games throughout the summer and then during the winter time he was a referee for leagues that were played indoors so they would rent out gymnasiums of like various high schools and junior high schools and these were places that were populated by migrant workers working class people um, from central and south america and every weekend on saturdays from like 10 to 5 it was just indoor soccer, you know, in, in the small gymnasium. And I would, me and my brother would go with my dad all the time to, to go see him in action, but also to kind of entertain ourselves. We would play um, soccer in the hallways of the school mm. while, while the adults are, yeah. you know, 
entertaining themselves with the amateur league. Yeah. So that's kind of my introduction to, um, to sports. Um, and you know, that's its significance within my personal history growing up in New York. Yeah. And, and were they something that you, you touched on this a little bit, but just, did you really Mm -hmm. enjoy playing them or was it always something that just was sort of interwoven into your life and it was just a part of how your sort of day-to-day was either passing basketball games being played on the street or was it something that you felt that like um was more uh that that you were more involved with directly by playing I think it was um it was definitely something that I just enjoyed doing as a child and I felt like I was directly involved um even just as a spectator, you know, mm-hmm. like even though you're not necessarily playing it as a fan, if you are just as impassioned as the players, you feel like you're part of the team. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yes. um, that kind of relationship to sports or to really any game, um, it, it it felt like I was a part of it. You know, there's a sense of competition. There's this kind of emotion to to competition that a lot of people, I think, can relate to. And I think that's one of the main reasons that we kind of are attracted to these various games, you know. Um, and then also for me, like the idea of wearing your your sports team, you know, that's very much like a New York thing. You know, New York mm-hmm. is like Yankees and Mets, you know, um, and, you know, wearing the Knicks colors. Like there's definitely another layer of it at least i think in new york where it's like a style decision you know um where it's like you have to wear you know the yankee cap or you have to wear the mets cap or you know always trying to find the latest new york nick uh jersey so you can wear it in the summer like all these things kind of play into it you know so whether you're directly involved as a participant of the game or a player um you still can be a part of it through these other outlets. Yeah. And how, at what point in your artistic or your career as an artist, did you think to, to make work about, about sports? About sports? Um, I don't know that it was like a necessarily a conscious decision. Um, it just, it, it actually, the work that I'm, that I had up at the, at the Whitney exhibition mm-hmm. really started from a conceptual exercise, like an exercise in memory. And I started thinking a lot about my dad, uh, who passed away in 2008. And I was thinking of placing myself in positions of his own life and trying to understand where, how he might've felt stepping onto a field for the first time or how he might have felt walking into the tunnel of the for the players or how he would have felt stepping on grass or how he would have felt working at a at a factory later on in life so it, it kind of started from a very specific biographical note mm-hmm. and then over time i realized that this idea of the field and um his relationship to to games potentially meant more or at least as an artist as like me understanding this relationship to the past and how we operate within certain spaces um the sports field started uh, broadening this idea of like what it meant to participate in general within certain sites so um it kind of slowly kind of turned into that after some time and even now it's transforming you know, what the idea of like sports is within the work. Right. Yeah. You know, growing up, the U.S. soccer wasn't uh, a fixture Mm -hmm. yet, you know, like that's only, I think that's only happened over the last 10 years or so. And so before then, soccer was this kind of marker of being from a different, um, at least having origins in a different country. So it did kind of function as this kind of, um, I don't know, I wouldn't say code, but some kind of marker that stated like, oh, you're, you're not necessarily originally from 
mm-hmm. from New York kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's really um, interesting just because soccer is now this, uh, well, I mean, at least it like very, you know, it's just this sort of everyday sport for children from like six on um, yeah. from all yeah. all backgrounds. And uh, I think especially, I mean, it's so popular with um, with kids. From, yeah. Yeah. So. And also, you know, like thinking about that, like the economics of it is really interesting, too, because in New York, um at least the idea of having that much space for a field is quite um, um, unique. You know, there's not much space in New York to have access right. to a field that large. So when we would go to to play indoor soccer, you know, it, it kind of shifts your idea of like um, the economics of, of the game in a way. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, that was one thing that I noticed right away too, is that at least growing up in the Bronx, there weren't too many fields available to play soccer. It was very much, you had to kind of um, acclimate to the, to the spaces available. Yeah. Which is kind of unique both about soccer and even basketball, you know, there are certain games that you just kind of need a wall <laughs> right? And a, and, and a ball and that's it, you know? So my, question that kind of now is gonna now it's changing a little bit because of what you said about your father and your family but um mm-hmm. there seems to be this real at least in the the work that is alluding to reproducing in some way a court or a field there seems to be the sense of aliveness that comes through mm-hmm. the work and that I think has to do sometimes when when you're using the the multicolored tape to as these markers mm-hmm. that that feels some somewhat um celebratory almost or it reminds me of confetti the way confetti rains down on a court during a championship uh game mm-hmm. um and then also the pieces that don't have the tape but are still there's still these sort of marks that are scratched into them and marks made and which just feels like a way of of showing that you were there and showing that you were alive yeah. there and, and making that mm-hmm. scratch or, or whatever the mark is. So I just wanted to, mm-hmm. to touch on that a little bit, how that, and then maybe how that relates to, to the, the inspiration for those pieces. Yeah, I think for me, those marks, they, they really range, um, um, depending on the piece of what they're meant to represent. And there's never kind of a direct, direct, um, kind of narrative to it necessarily Mm -hmm. but it is really about materializing presence in some way and one way that i found of that is by indicating strategies that exist for certain games or the idea of movement of people from one place to another and then even um generating some of my own kind of rules um within the making of the piece, you know, like if I were established a certain outline, I have to work around that outline. Mm-hmm. And then um, the next layer has to work around that outline. So um, <clears throat> it's all really about investigating the, the kind of correspondence and relationship of one thing to the next, so that there's never uh, necessarily a sense of hierarchy, but really an understanding that it's, it's about um, relationships and, and movement and kind of understanding one's bounds and approximation to the other, which is also like really quick, like fast paced, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, this is kind of what I'm aiming towards in some of the pieces about, um, the idea of movement that it's, while it's fleeting for me, I find it important to try to, um, record it or chronicle it somehow and that's your own and that includes your own movement as as you're making as well as the movement that might inspire that by the by the game yeah sometimes i will start with um a strategy um within a basketball court and then from there, jump into, okay, well, now I'll make marks in relationship to that. And then maybe I'll introduce 
um, mappings of people from one place to another. So they really range in um, the specifics of it, mm -hmm. of like if there's a direct reference or, or potentially just uh, a playful approach that I have towards the, towards the, the mapping that I'm, I'm making. Yeah. And, and if we could talk a little bit about how the um, Nascalines, uh, if I'm saying that correctly, <laughs> um, that, that might also be informing those, those works as well as, as Mark making. I was reading a little bit about them and how I didn't realize that they were sort of, um, it's more like that they're uncovered. Like that's how the process of making them is, is that they, uh, they, they're pulled out of the ground rather than made it mark into the ground as far as I yeah. can tell from my reading, which, which I found, um, really interesting. Yeah. These are Nazca lines that were, um, essentially etchings into the ground. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it because I use it as a direct reference within my drawings where I'm, pressing into paper so uh -huh. um in a sense kind of digging into the paper and so i've never been able to visit the sites myself but um they are these very monumental earthworks uh generated um i think around 700 um and they're diggings of earth in order to create a relief into the ground so that from above um, you would be able to recognize whatever imagery is being created. So um, sometimes they've generated icons like a spider or a monkey um, or birds. And there are other iterations where they're much more um, geometric mm -hmm. and not so Refer, um, referential to, to animals or anything else, but just lines in, in the ground. So I've been using that within drawings um, and connecting them to the gymnasium floors and thinking about that site as well. So that there seemed to be a, a real spiritual connection for, for the, the Nazca lines uh, mm -hmm. and how and why maybe they were created. And mm -hmm. I was just wondering if there's also a spiritual connection for you or if you could elaborate on the spiritual connection when you're making these marks and when you're, um, yeah, just creating your pieces. Uh, from, from what I've uh, researched, the, many of the lines for these offerings, in a sense, mm -hmm. um, to uh, certain deities and um, different harvest seasons and um, they, they kind of range in their reasoning, but from what I've understood is that they've always been kind of a tribute to celestial beings that are supposedly looking down on these sites. And so um, for me, it, it's it's interesting to, to consider certain works as tributes or as offerings. Mm -hmm. um, while like some while some of the drawings are you know um, on paper and can be hung, there are other iterations in which the lines are applied with vinyl, and they're quite ephemeral. They'll they'll last for the duration of the exhibition. Um, sometimes they'll be dispersed over time or just completely destroyed, and so in that sense, there's a connection to that idea of offering a work to to reasons beyond ourselves, to reasons that are beyond aesthetic and not just about um, collecting or uh, consuming artwork, but really just a, a, a tributary almost. Yes. And that, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just also thinking about like the sport as, as the tribute as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's also this like very ritualistic approach to sports too that I'm interested in, right. you know, that, that kind of generates itself just by the act of sport. Like there's, you know, whether it be through um, 
a ritual, like a, a consistency of like every Sunday or every Saturday, there's this game. There's kind of an understanding of like how the game is started and when, when it ends. So there's very much like this ritualistic approach to um, being a participant of a game, which I find really interesting. Yes, and, and I think also when, when you were talking about going to the watching the game or going to the game being that can also be sort of this active experience. It's like that that mm -hmm. also is alluding to to going to a church and 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 right. being a yeah calling back and being a participant in, in what's being done and said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that also goes into a lot of the the colors, you know, of, um, of various teams, of the connection of, of um, certain teams connected to like labor unions, you know, that these players represent much more than just who's going to win, but there's a very much a sense of almost sovereignty, you know, that I find really interesting to these sites. Yeah, the sovereignty. So when you say sovereignty, are you the, could you, could I mean, you just, explain that it's more? I guess it's just rare to see someone's passion to a team, you know, there, there's almost, it's hard to find mm. something comparable to that, that like there are people who will do anything to show their devotion to this team yes. or to a player even, you know. Like there are people who, you know, like really some silly critiques of, of, of people who get on the bandwagon, you know, mm -hmm. like all of a sudden there's a lot more Lakers fans because LeBron is on, is on the Lakers, you know, like stuff like that. Right. Like there's a sense of devotion that people are always striving for that I think sports provides or not even sports. I think games in general provides that. And I think we could probably even, you know, lead that into a conversation about video games, for example, mm -hmm. how video games provide that kind of sense of devotion that people are looking for sometimes. And the jerseys, I mean, what you were talking about, where you, where you kind of take on one person yeah. rather than a whole team, um, and that yeah. you're kind of, uh, I mean, I think also wearing someone else's name on the back of your, you know, on your body and their number and all this is also kind of a, can be a spiritual experience where you're connecting with, I mean, for me it is when I, when I choose to wear someone's Jersey, it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. And that for me is interesting as well, because there's this, what, when I first started like working on, on emblems, just a long time ago, there was this real interest of mine in looking at heraldry and how there is a visual language being developed for people who could not read. You know, during mm. feudal times, flags were developed to indicate the beginning of someone's land and, you know, so that you understand that you're stepping into, you know, Abigail's space. Yeah. You know, this is her farm now. But it was co the only indicator for that was like a green flag with a yellow circle or something like that. Right. Yeah. And so over time, I mean, this is just my interest within visual language, how that we've kept some of those traditions of marking identity with color and shape that is like it, it's just so uh generative and so interesting to me and it plays itself out really well in sports where there's always kind of this reiteration of designs of new materials mm -hmm. uh solely reliant on visual language if you know if um that's why when even some jerseys, when they translate them into Spanish, you know, it doesn't really matter that it says uh, Los Lakers, for example. Um, so long as you have purple and yellow, people right. will understand that this is that team. Uh, and that's, there's no need for language in that, at least text, you know, mm -hmm. it, it can be solely reliant on visual language. So I, I guess that, that there's, there's very much a long-standing tradition to that, you know, of establishing identity through through visual language that um, that sports provides on on a daily basis, which is which is really interesting to me. Yes, and I think that that has, 
I mean, at least specifically in the NBA, I think that mm-hmm. the, the the colors that the teams use uh, has become less and less strict, it seems, um, uh, as they've put more emphasis on wanting to uh, have more creatively designed jerseys and symbols. And recently they've been doing like these city edition releases where, Mm -hmm. I mean, growing up, it's like the Miami Heat. I remember the Miami Heat being black and red. I mean, those were their colors um, for much of the time. And and these city editions are pink and blue uh, for Miami Mm -hmm. Vice. And it's just things like that um, where they're really sometimes, or even just the home team growing up mostly, and until recently used to always wear the lighter color and the away team would always wear the darker color darker and color. that is also just right. totally out the window now um mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not a way that you can identify who's who's playing at home and, and who's playing away it's just uh, a free-for-all <laughs> with that yeah. which is interesting I think that also that goes hand in hand with how fashion has become even more so mm-hmm. such a big part of uh the NBA as a sort of cultural entity that it is the the players walking into the locker room are mm-hmm. able to express themselves through what they're wearing and that's such a big discussion point for the game uh and so they're also trying to reflect that on the court yeah and and what's really interesting is that the the players are very much aware of this and even within um Soccer sometimes like the the idea that you're what you're wearing is incredibly powerful. I think NBA has been able to kind of commercialize a lot of this, and that's why they keep coming out with like. I think teams have like almost twenty jerseys. Per yeah. season now. you know it's kind of insane. Back in the day, you only had to worry about the home jersey and the away jersey. Right. That was about it. And nowadays, it's like a city, but. You know, it just goes to show that the there's there's a power within um, these players, especially in the NBA, because it's this much smaller league and it's so player emphasized that what you wear is super. Um, it's very significant and it it, it it can deliver a message. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. I remember when, and this is something comparable to like when. Um, the soccer players, and I still see it nowadays, but soccer players would have T-shirts underneath their jerseys. And so whenever they ever score, scored a goal, they could just lift their shirt and they'd be, um, you know, having a picture of their mom or a picture of their daughter oh, wow. or their family or messages to specific people, yeah. you know. And there was there were moments where it was a very much a political act. You know, and then there were moments where it's just completely celebratory, where they finally get to show their their real identity beyond being a soccer player. You know, yeah. and um, and I, there's there's exchanges between at least this is because this is my vantage point between um, soccer and basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, most recently I saw like Dwayne Wade and uh, LeBron exchanged jerseys yeah, at the end of the game. Yeah, and I'm a- like, that's just like, that's a soccer move. You know, like, <laughs> it's really interesting to see these connections of exchange through through these symbolic gestures, you know, that we can only appreciate them from a distance. So they have to be spectacle in a sense, you know. Um, and it's all about fashion. Like you said, it's all about the idea of, of what the body is wearing. But, but the, then there are also players who are very aware of that, um, of that power and they use it to vocalize, um, you know, uh, certain social events, you know, their yeah. own stances on, on, on police shootings, police brutality, um, on media coverage even, you know? And so that's when it's, it gets really exciting when you get to see that um, these players uh, are fully aware of their kind of presence within visual language. Yeah, that's so exciting. I mean, I think that that is exciting. Um, I'm not... Yeah. Yeah, I I just think it's important to... um, 
that is such an important thing that there can be this realization or this understanding of of how valuable this jersey is that you that touched your body (laughs) and how important Mm -hmm. it is and how what it holds and and sort of the by by giving it to someone else or some you know they uh if they give it to a fan or or their shoes or whatever Mm -hmm. it is it's like there's uh these the materials that they're wearing are imbued with their their being and I, yeah. I love that recognition and I I love that players recognize that as well um, yeah. in, in both a I mean you know it's it's not necessarily that when you bring financials into it it's less cute I think um, mm-hmm. when you know they're it's like less genuine almost. it's less genuine yeah, yeah but this just um, this idea is like the, this offering which I think comes back to your uh, with the ideas mm-hmm. of the rituals mm-hmm. and and sort of a paying tribute, but this this offering you're giving to someone else or or this other player or this fan or whoever it is to to recognize them to say like you you get to have this like thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really those moments where the the game, you know, whether it's orchestrated or not, or sometimes it might feel silly. Um, it, it lets you realize that these games are. There is something more than just the competitive aspect of it, and it nowadays it's you can see it because it's being policed more. You know, Um, I noticed during the World Cup that there were a lot less jersey exchanges Mm. because um, they would do it inside the tunnel. So it was quite strange to realize that there was a kind of um, a a level of control being established that was really subtle, you know, unless you're a huge fan of soccer, you know, you you didn't notice that there were a lot less jersey exchanges on the pitch of the field. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like they didn't want the bodies of these players to be exposed, or maybe they didn't want... um, that exchange to exist in public for some reason. It was quite odd to see a lot less of that happening. Um, so it, there are moments where you you see the value of it when it's actually gone. Um, yeah. You know, so. That's so, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, that's really interesting that that, I, yeah, I, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that as another additional way to kind of um, control the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there was also that moment in, in NBA history where, like, David Stern's like, nope, everybody has to wear a suit, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, <laughs> it just, you know, it, it was this sense of, um, again, controlling the male black body in, in, in sports and, there there was a lot of backlash at the time and i mean i know there there were players who i think this was before twitter so there wasn't as much as much like you couldn't register the the outcry of the player necessarily but it very much felt like there was um an impediment set on how you needed to operate within the business of basketball you know, it made it very corporate immediately, uh, and it completely distanced um, a certain like uh, public from wanting to engage almost with 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 basketball because of this this new rule of having to wear a suit and tie yeah. to come to work. You know. Yeah, and it's so it's so interesting thinking about that in relation to now when players who are injured and it just they're they're dressed in this way that totally they stand out so much from everyone <laughs> behind you know all the fans that are wearing the free shirts that were on the back of the seats or whatever and they're wearing these designer <laughs> suits that I mean are like multicolored and things like that yeah. and it's just it's so that's such a 
it's such an interesting dynamic between sort of what is appropriate to wear to a basketball game or a, so- or a soccer game or whatever it is. And um, it's just interesting. Yeah, it's always, it, it's, I find it interesting that it's like the least athletic gear is the most acceptable for an athletic game. Right. Which really made no sense to me. Yeah. Um, and that also even, it even plays out like when you soccer and some of those old uh, football coaches. Um, but I guess that's a little bit different. I don't know. There's, there's this idea of the coach being the, the one like authority figure mm-hmm. within the team, you know? So I guess that would be a little bit different, but for players to have to fall into that category, just that always surprised me. We've gotten a little away from your work in a more <laughs> literal sense. Um, I'm wondering if, yeah, if we can get back to yeah. to the spaces, to the courts and the fields mm-hmm. that you referenced when we were first talking about going to these places with your father and um, mm-hmm. interacting them with them in certain ways. And I just want to know what you find sort of interesting about them from an artistic point um, and how we sort of can turn uh, the institutions the of the game, the, the soccer field where soccer is supposed to be played, how that can kind of be, you know, rethought potentially. I mean, for when I would go to the gymnasium, even without my dad, just like for physical education, um, the one thing that everybody notices is all these lines on the floor, you know, all these various games that are in the same site, you know? And so it was always interesting to see that there was these beautiful designs, very symmetrical, Mm -hmm. very vibrant, all within the same space. And depending on which game we decided, we understood the boundaries of yellow or we understood the boundaries of red you know, for whatever game it was that we were going to play and all these like things that we were going to subscribe to um, depending on what it is that we chose uh, has always been interesting to me. And I guess nowadays thinking about that, those sites as, um, as places of convening, but also places of negotiating what the rules are and mm-hmm. how we're going to operate within them. So uh, that that's what my, the fields that I'm like creating it, is really about that, this negotiation between people of how we operate or negotiations within for yourself of how you're going to operate within certain um, bounds and how that relates to someone coming from another country and moving to the U.S. and realizing that language is a barrier realizing that certain customs are a barrier or that religion is a barrier or um you know racism is a barrier and and so the 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 reliance on on appropriation being necessary on um improvising being necessary and yeah I, i mean i don't know if i'm directly kind of getting to your question about how these games are meant to be played now, but uh, I, I've kind of removed a little bit from how the games themselves are supposed to be played and more about our understanding of rules within certain spaces um, and how we can alter them or move through them and move around them. Yeah, no, that 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 is... Um... Yeah, that is interesting, and and I think that tying it to your own experience of of moving to the United States is um, important based on sort of the difference between guidelines and constrictions on Mm -hmm. maybe what is expected of you um, or what is recommended versus what is, uh, there'll be a consequence for in some way putting putting your body in in a new space where where you have to adapt um yeah that's that's interesting and 
it just uh, has this very a personal feel, of course, to it that that I I didn't understand initially. Yeah, and when when I kind of look at some of the pieces, it's some of it's really just about restructuring what's already there, at least for me, and this connection to. Um, deconstructing the existing patterns, the existing uh, courts uh, or spaces uh, is really important because oftentimes that's where you can find new outlets or, or ways of looking at that site so that it does not feel as, as intimidating potentially, mm-hmm. you know, um, and yeah, that's why I, the, the, the materials that are used um, hopefully complement that, you know, so that the materials that I'm using are coming from the source itself, you know, from that site itself, uh, whether it be enamel paint or floorboards. Uh, there's an investigation of things coming from the site in mm-hmm. order to generate a new, a new feel of it. You know, whether or sometimes using milk crates, for example, where the idea of the milk crate um, being both an object for transporting materials, transporting goods to it being a basketball hoop, for example. So um, it's really always about like looking at things within range and seeing how they can be transformed to generate a, a new perspective. Yes, and and inserting yourself into the into the conversation that by by rethinking and reassembling, mm-hmm. you are now a part of the game. Yeah. Um, and yeah, go ahead, yeah. please. No, it's just it's, um, it, it's really about that. It's trying to find how you can um, fall into this space that has long history and, and um, step into that that site and insert your own voice into it um, or voices that have been continually left out of that yeah. space you know yeah I was thinking um, about this uh, because I remembered on election day of 2016 I got really excited because I saw these images of people voting on basketball courts <laughs> uh, which felt like this just relating to what we're discussing now yeah. this way of becoming mm-hmm. I mean in a really obvious direct way like your voice is being heard or whatever it is um, mm-hmm. but that that these spaces have, this potential to to hold all of these other interactions besides this, this the game in its formality and so I think that of course basketball is still present no matter what else is happening on the court and basketball lives there but there's this space for us to think of other things within that context mm-hmm. and I I love yeah. the idea of all of these hoops witnessing what I thought was going to be maybe a historic election um, yeah. for, for, I, you know, when I was looking at the images that day, I was like, all of these nets and hoops are witnesses to the first female president being elected. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was a very naive woman then, um, no longer. So, um, yeah, so there, there was that. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the idea of these, um, venues and arenas being communal sites and that we continue to whether it be um a game like basketball whatever sport it is or 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 a rink or a rodeo there's this real um kind of a drive to establish communal sites in which we convene Mm -hmm. you know and you know i i think for here in the States, you know, voting is one of them within the gymnasium floor. Yeah. You know? uh, but there has been this, um, always this 
I mean, historically, there are always, whether it be a plaza or a venue or an arena, architecturally, there, there are um, impulses to establish sites for a communal setting. You know, um, they're not, I mean, over time, it's turned into like a spectacle of violence or whatever it might be, yeah. but there's always been a push to, to have these moments of, con- of convening. You know, the, and I think it, you know, contemporarily, I think sports is one of those uh, driving forces to continually renovate or create a new arena and a new stadium, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, definitely. No, they are able to bring people out and doing things as one for for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that about them. And I, I think that there's something, um, I haven't been on a soccer field or a football field or a baseball field like this, but I've been in a basketball gym by myself and there, it mm-hmm. feel, it doesn't feel, um, it always feels like something's about to happen. Um, and I mean, I haven't been in a NBA arena by myself, but I've been in a college arena by myself and it just, there's always Mm -hmm. this sense. I felt when I was there that it was just ready. It's ready to, to have something occur. And I really, I'm really drawn to that. To that. Yeah. I think I, I think those sites, um, they, they're they're kind of calling for it, mm-hmm. um, and we become used to it. That there, there is there's no other reason to have a space that big, you know, right? Other than to like have an event, to have something that is more than just you. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's essentially a stage, you know. Yes. Um, and not, something needs to be performed on it. So. I think that my last question now, when I wrote it, mm-hmm. had I, we of course had not talked through all of these things yet. So now I, I feel mm-hmm. as though it has much more meaning, but, or I hope, mm-hmm. um, is, is how you, how you think of language and, and how you use language in your work when, when you have titles that are in Spanish versus titles that are in English or that, that is also a, a point of your identity um and yeah i was just wondering if we could if you could explain that yeah i mean there's two points of entry that i think i always try to establish within the work and one of it is materially do the materials that i use or um at least the signifiers that i um i represent whether it be a diagram of a sports field or the object itself and then secondly, looking towards the title of the piece as a way to talk about um, specific cultural connections. So sometimes um, I would incorporate uh, Spanish and English within the title mm-hmm. to showcase this duality, you know, that for me, it's really ever present of being from one place and living in another and that there's this exchange between the two constantly. Uh, so there... It, within that, I'm, you know, trying to establish uh, a longer history of of the field that is not just about contemporary sports culture, but thinking about pre-Columbian sites that, you know, that fields were always a big part of it, you know, to let sports be um, a, a part of this experience within architecture. So uh, the, the language that I'm incorporating is, I'm, I'm hoping that it's a way to kind of give context to a lot of these pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it is uh, effective for just, um, I mean, some titles can add a layer of confusion sometimes mm-hmm. to what you're looking at. Um, and I think that when I was looking at your website, it's really effective to kind of bounce back and forth between languages. Um, mm-hmm. 
as 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 a whole body of work rather than thinking about them individually, but that they all kind of play off of one another. That was that was effective. Yeah, and you know, I I definitely realize that sometimes the the titles are the only entry point available. <laughs> so I try to make it um, accessible because I don't want to be. Uh, you know, although sometimes estrangement is really helpful so that you can emotionally relate to the work a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, it's not always necessary to make uh, the the images you're presenting completely unavailable, you know. Yeah. So it's it's important to me to to establish establish that. Yes. Good. Well, yes, I think that those are, those are my thoughts <laughs> and I so appreciate you responding. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, it's been great. And it's, it's really rare to kind of talk about sports so concretely when, <laughs> when thinking about, um, artwork, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm glad that we were able to talk a little bit about that and I feel like it's gaining steam in general, you know, sports being a larger, a bigger picture than, than just like the competitors in it. Yes. And I think they're also what you're, and this could be me projecting, I don't know, but it seems as though, I mean, I just think there's room for sports to evolve and, and for there to be a a dialogue about, about them and about their, their use and what, how we, how we interact with them and I think your work is is getting at that and that's really exciting to me because it's Thanks. it's what I someday hope for for my own is is to um you know really be deconstructing them and reconstructing them mm-hmm. yeah which I think is is exciting rather than sort of sticking to a certain context for art and a certain context for for sports um, and yeah. you can come on in the future and we can really get into it about David Stern and Adam <laughs> Silver um, when, it, when, when it makes sense, um, depending Absolutely. on what's happening. But yeah, good. Okay, well, have a good studio day and um, take care Thanks. of yourself. We'll talk soon. You too. Yeah. All talk right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.